When my uh, two older boys were younger, they would get toys for Christmas <coughs> like most, most kids, and they would receive certain kinds of toys like Playmobil or Kinects, and I would look at the picture on the outside of the box and think, I can, I can make that, I can build that. And as I looked at the picture and I tried to help them put it together, as the project got underway, partway into it, I would look at what I was building and I would look at the box and realize, they don't look like the same thing. <laughs> and I had to do what every guy hates to do. I had to get the directions out. I had to take it apart. I had to start over and I had to read the directions. Well, it's kind of a similar thing in marriage. Many of us look at someone else's marriage and they see their success perhaps and they're looking on the outside and they're looking in and they think, I could do something like that. I can do that. And they never read the instruction book. They never go to the author of marriage or the creator of marriage to see how they're really doing it. You see, God created marriage and he gave us instructions for it. Only when we follow them can our marriages be all that God designed them to be. If you're not following God's instructions on marriage, you may be settling for a broken or half-put-together marriage. Do you see the difference? Way back in Genesis 2, following the creation of the first man, that was Adam, God gave the man a place to dwell. He gave the man a job to do and a command to follow. Listen as I read to you from Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So the Lord created Eve. God gave her to Adam as a wife and a helper. And so it continues to this day. She just pushed me right out of there, didn't she? I'm, I need the flag thrown, right? I just bumped him. Yeah. <laughs> and so it continues to this day. Uh, it is God's plan to give the, the direction and instruction for the family to the husband, just as he did to Adam in the beginning. And God intends for the husband to lead the family, and Rob is going to discuss that at length um, in a few minutes. But he wants the woman, the wife, to be the helper. It is our created purpose in the marriage to be a helper to our husband. God desires that we as wives use our gifts, use our talents, and use our abilities to support our husband and to allow him to achieve vastly more than he could do on his own. The ways in which we as wives help our husbands will vary because every man is unique. The life circumstances we're in are unique. So the way that we become helpers to our husbands and the ways in which we help our husbands will be different. But the role of helper remains um, universal. Now the word for uh, comparable there means suitable. <clears throat> As a wife, I need to carefully consider how I can help my own husband. I need to pray and ask God to guide me. And I need to ask my husband in which ways I can help him. Mm. How can I come alongside of him to ease his burden and help him to accomplish what God has called him to do? 
Because often my assessment of what I think my husband needs, I mean, I have plans for things that need to be fixed up here in his personality or some bad habits maybe that he needs to change. Um, that's not usually where we need to focus our energies. Um, you need to go to your husband and ask him, how can I help you? Um, where do you need help? Now, um, does this mean that the husband never helps the wife around the house, never helps the wife like around the house or anything like that? I mean, of course not. I mean, that's, that's not what this means. Certainly, Rob helps me a lot day to day. You know, he'll help me with the dishes. He'll take out the trash. I mean, he takes care of the lawn. I mean, certainly this doesn't mean that there's no, uh, that, the, that the husband cannot help the wife in the day to day activities. What this means, the idea here of the wife being the helper, is the understanding that in the overall purposes of our family, it's based on the direction that God gives the husband. And then it's the wife's role to focus her energies in supporting, encouraging, and helping him reach those objectives. The key word here is supportive. A man needs the support of his wife. He needs to know that you are behind him no matter what. Even when all else fails, you will be there. After creating Eve and giving her to Adam, God said, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. In addition to working together and serving together and working to achieve a common goal, there's also a fellowship and a communion that must happen in marriage. The two need to become one flesh. And God desires the marriage relationship to be a place of deep intimacy. An intimacy that is formed as the two work together to achieve common goals. An intimacy that grows as the couple communicates and shares their deepest thoughts together. Their hopes, their fears, and their dreams. This intimacy, it's, the cons it's consummated in physical union. We all know what that means. The phrase, the two shall become one flesh, speaks of sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy, this might be new to you, hopefully it's not. It was designed by God. It has a purpose, a very important purpose in a marriage. It's to be enjoyed within a marriage as the, way, as the bond of the married couple, through the bond of a married couple in a very unique way. It strengthens the marital covenants. It strengthens your marriage when you're together intimately. Sex within the marriage is good and it's holy in God's eyes. Our culture wants to teach us something completely different. Our culture wants to take what God has given a husband and a wife and wants to snatch it away and make it free so that anybody at any time can enjoy it. That's not God's intentions. Well, Genesis is not the only place where marriage is mentioned in the Bible. Certainly, if you're part of our church, we've been teaching in 1 Peter. It's mentioned there. I taught on those recently. And Paul also gives us specific instructions in marriage in the book of Ephesians. So if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It's in the New Testament, about halfway through the New Testament or so. Ephesians chapter 5. I'll be starting in verse 22 once you guys get there. You know, I find it, while you're, while you're turning there, I find it ironic that God makes the directions for marriage so clear, and yet our culture so adamantly rejects them. Yet I can tell you I've done it both ways, and when you do it God's ways, the home is much more peaceable. 
It's much happier. It's much more of a blessing, not only to each other, but to the other people in your family and your churches and your community. It really is an amazing thing. All right, chapter 5, verse 22. It says this. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is, the, is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In these few verses, we see a very important revelation about the roles in marriage. Wives are given the direction to submit to their husbands. The culture hates that word. Do you know that? They can't stand it. And husbands are given the responsibility of being the head of the wife. Now, ladies, if you understand and believe what we've already learned in Genesis about God giving the direction to the family, to the husbands, and your role as a helper, then the idea of submission makes perfect sense. We as women are to submit to our own husbands. This is not a command for women to be subservient to men in general. God is not favoring men over women here. He's simply establishing order in your home. So this is how it works practically. A husband and a wife have a decision to make. Certainly, there's a time for a husband and a wife to come together to discuss and consider different issues, to talk about the problems and the decisions that need to be made that are affecting the family. They can hash out the pros and the cons. They can think about the potential outcomes together. They can pray over it together, but there's going to come a time for a decision. And at that time, God desires for us as wives to relinquish that control, relinquish that final decision to our husbands. We can release that decision, that responsibility to our husbands. Because remember, God wants to give direction to your husbands, but if we are standing in the way of that, it's not that God can't work. It's just going to be so much more difficult. There's going to be so much more tension in the home, so much more second-guessing and confusion. God doesn't want it to be that way. So certainly there's a time for husbands and wives to talk and discuss and consider together. But there also is a time, and it's a wonderful blessing, ladies, to be able to relinquish that responsibility to your husband. That doesn't mean you totally take your hands off of it. That's your time to go and pray. Pray and ask the Lord to direct your husband, to help your husband have the wisdom to know the right decision to make. Because it is a weighty responsibility to be able to hear from the Lord and then make those decisions. It's hard for our husbands to do that. They really don't get the better part of the deal here in my um, estimation. <laughs> for me personally, I have found great um, blessing that I don't have to carry that stress. I don't have to carry that burden. My responsibility for the Lord, before the Lord is to pray for my husband and then follow my husband and support him. There's that word again as the helper, support him, and then help him along the way as he leads the family. Our choice as wives to submit to our husbands is a direct reflection of our willingness to submit to the Lord. Mm. Notice that the scripture says, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Remember also 
that as you relinquish this control, because that's what it is, and we as women, we kind of like to control things. We have our way of how we think everything should work and that we think that if we do it a certain way that it's going to turn out a certain, certain direction. That's an illusion. We really can't control as much as we think we can. And the more we try to put our hands into it, a lot of times we end up, again, like I said, causing confusion and strife and conflict. Um, so it's an act of faith. We relinquish that control. Yes, we relinquish it to our husbands, but ultimately we relinquish it to God. We do it in faith and we trust that the Lord is going to work it out even if our husband doesn't necessarily make the right choice or even the best choice. God will work it out in the end. There's great blessing that God can bring upon the family when we align ourselves in this appropriate order. I'm going to let you guys keep writing. Some of you taking notes. As a You know, I, I always struggle with staying on the topic. I got some other thoughts going on in my head, but I'm, I'm going to stay here. As a man and as a husband, uh, I wanted to talk about this idea that of the headship of the man that's mentioned there in, in verse 23, or maybe we could call it leadership. If, if our wives are called to come underneath of us or to submit to us, it means that as men, we have to be leading. We have to be the one uh, being led by the Lord and then leading our family into where the Lord leads us. Every Christian husband has the biblical responsibility. It's a biblical responsibility. We're covering it right here to lead your wife and your family. And the scriptures proclaim that the husband is the head of the wife. And I don't know how else to say it, but guys, we, it's our responsibility to lead our family, especially in the things of the Lord. And we should not push this responsibility off to our wife in any way. In order, well, let me just say this. Many times, in, in, at least in my life, I, I kind of thought that if my wife was happy, I would be happy. You know, it was sort of the happy wife, happy life syndrome. You know, if mama's happy, everybody's happy. And I would make many decisions early in our marriage to keep her happy because I felt that if, I'm ha if she's happy, I'm pretty laid back. I'm pretty, everything's cool. But can I just tell you, that's, that's a lie. That's not the way that it works. Uh, we have to step up as men and, and as leaders in our homes and begin taking over that responsibility. In order to lead, we must first determine what God's plan is for our families. In order to lead, you've got to know where you're going, don't you? I can't lead somebody if I don't know where I'm going. I have a responsibility as a husband to know, all right, what does God want to do with my family? And that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, it's going to be off to start a church or be a pastor or be a missionary. It's what does he want to do today with my family? What's our family mission statement? How, how are we going to, what is it that God's called us to do? How does he want me to lead his family? You know, being a leader of your family is a lifelong commitment. And you're going to grow and he's going to refine you in that process. And, you know, <coughs> I just I want to take a few minutes and kind of explain how it unfolded in my life because it's easy to look at me and go well you're a pastor and she's a pastor's wife and and you you guys just you have it together you're doing things right but it wasn't always that way as I said earlier I always had the happy wife happy life syndrome that's just the way that I I was my before I became a pastor I was in police work in law enforcement and my days were stressful my days were long I worked crazy hours and I wanted my home to be a place of peace and I didn't really care what happened there as long as it was quiet and peaceful it didn't really make any difference to me 
And, and long after I got, or not, or not long after I got married, I began learning about husbands leading their wives in a, in a conference like this and in, in church that I would hear the pastor talk about it. And uh, I began, I realized I don't really have any idea what that looks like. What does that really mean? Because we had lived our life and our marriage under the aspect if we agreed on something, we would do it. If we didn't agree on something or one of us disagreed, then, then we wouldn't do it. But then I kind of quickly realized, wait a minute, by doing things that way, the one who disagrees is really the one making the decision. You know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't fall to me. It would fall to the, if I wanted to do something and she said, well, no, I don't think so. And we go, all right, well, we're not going to do it because we don't agree unanimously. Well, then she essentially made the decision. And it would, it would fall that way. And I, as I began to think and learn that, I'm like, that doesn't really line up with what the Bible's teaching here, what the Bible's saying. Well, I want to share with you the first time I really felt myself stepping into this role, the church we were going to, they offered a biblical money management class. And, uh, and I took it. I had never <coughs> taken a class outside of other than sitting in church. And I'll be honest, I was kind of the guy that went to church because my wife drug me there. I can say that she probably drugged me to the first few marriage conferences that we went to. And uh, I, I took this biblical money management class, and I began learning principles in the scriptures about managing money. And I came home, and I took, I took those principles that I learned, and I began applying them in our marriage. And it was a very practical thing. It wasn't anything super spiritual. It wasn't like anybody outside of our home would, could see what was taking, what was happening in our marriage or things like that. But it was the first place, that I, when I look back, that I actually exercised leadership in our home. And I said, honey, I think this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to begin. And, you know, I learned these things. The Bible says it. And we're going to start putting this into practice. And, and we did. And she, she allowed me to do that. And as my relationship with the Lord grew, I sat him out. I sought him out on, on future things and future decisions. I began praying about things. I began leading in other ways around my family in very practical ways. Uh, pretty soon I led my wife into moving from one city to the next. I felt the Lord was calling us. I needed to be closer to work. So I, I did. My, my wife is not a, a mover. Her parents still live in the same house that she grew up in. When we go back to visit her parents, we, we sleep in the bedroom that she grew up in. <laughs> so moving for her is not an idea. And I, I said early in our marriage, hey, let, let's move. You know, and she said she didn't really want to move because it was moving a little farther from her home. But she allowed me to lead her in that, and we, we moved. And, and that move allowed me to lead in some other areas, and we began to grow and get involved in, in, in a new church, and, and we started to grow there. So I, I led her in that area of, of moving. I began to lead her. I've led her to a couple of different churches. I've led her here to Cumberland, and she's, she's followed me in that. Uh, as, as I began to lead her and she began to learn her principles, we began to watch the Lord work through that. And I can honestly tell you that our marriage today is stronger than it was the day that we got married. And I'm more in love with her today than the day I was when we, when we got married. It has grown, and we've taken these principles, and we've used them and applied them in our life. And like I said, as of my relationship with, grew with the Lord, I led her in, a different, in moving homes. We, led, we changed churches. I even jumped in one morning and began leading the, the, the morning devotion, the morning Bible study. I was watching I sat on the side as Rebecca opened up the Bible and she sat with our kids. They were young and they, they weren't really paying attention. They were all over the place. They weren't listening. And I, I, I was convicted because I knew that if I'd have sat down and I'd opened the Bible, those kids would have sat and listened. And I did. I came to her. I said, you know what? I'm going to start teaching this. We call it circle time in our home. And, uh, and I sat down and I started teaching the morning devotions. And the kids, uh, I can't say they were perfect. They listened every time. But there was a different respect there. They, I, I held a position in the, in the home that the kids naturally knew who, who was in charge. And as I sat down, they would sit and listen to what I had to say. As I began to prove faithful, 
with the little things around the house, my responsibilities began to grow in the Lord. Although leadership starts in the home and the day-to-day activities, it wasn't long before the Lord expanded that leadership into ministry. The church I was involved in, I began getting into ministry. As I started serving in ministry, this is very, very important, my wife and kids came alongside of me. It wasn't me going out to do my own thing and them staying at home. We learned very early on that when we serve in ministry, we do it together. I might be up here on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night teaching, and she's not standing beside me usually, but you know what? She's still standing beside me. She's still, it's, the reason I can do what I do is because she does what she does. The reason I can be at church long hours, that I can, you know, meet with people at different times and, and is because she's flexible with my schedule. I can call, I've, I can call my wife and she, I can say, I'm, you know, dinner can be planned at five and I can call my wife and say, you know, honey, something's come up. I'm not going to be home till seven tonight. And I can guarantee you, and it's happened many times, she'll say, that's okay, I'll keep your dinner warm for you. That's a growth. It wasn't always that way. It would be, wait a minute, I, I told you, to, you said you were coming home at five. I got this ready. I put my hard earned effort into this. What's wrong with you? But she's realized, you know what, the place I want to be is home. I really want to be home, but there's something that's calling me away that needs to be, that I need to be away for a season. It makes a big difference. You must realize that your family has been brought together by the Lord to accomplish his purposes. Maybe the Lord wants you just to work as, I'll just say, a plumber, whatever your job is. Just, just work as a plumber for now. That's how you provide financially. And maybe he wants you to get involved uh, in, in your church together or get involved in children's church or using your gifts and talents in some other way. You see, here's, the, here's where it gets, it gets personal. I can't give the men a three-step process on leading your family. I, I wish I could. I wish I could say, here's the steps you need to take. I can only provide you with the framework, the framework to work within. You must seek the Lord and determine his will. I can't tell you what he wants you to do. That's your responsibility. And I believe that as a husband and a wife, we are created for his good pleasure, which the Bible tells us, and he has a plan for every single one of us. And when I say serving him, yes, we happen to be doing it in ministry. Yes, it's full-time ministry and I pastor a church, but you might serve him in your everyday life. You might, you might never step out in ministry or become a missionary. You might just pursue your career, teach your kids, share with your wife, and minister in your local church or wherever he calls you to do. And it's going to change and you're going to grow as you go through it. But you've got to determine, Lord, what is it that you want for my family? Guys, your wife cannot do it for you. She cannot lead your family in ministry. It is your responsibility. She can come up with ideas and suggestions, and she can step in that role, but that is not what God intended. We, as men, as husbands, we must hit our knees in prayer. We must take the pages of Scripture and read them and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. This is what I have for you and your family. Don't make the mistake that you're just here for life to enjoy it. You're here to serve. And if you serve, you will enjoy it. It will be a blessing to you. Jesus Christ gives us the divine role model for us as husbands. We should provide for our wives. We should protect our wives. We should preserve our wives. We should love our wives and lead our wives and our families. This is what Jesus has done for the church. This is the example he made. Now look at verses 25 through 33 and follow along as Paul uh, gives another command to the husbands. He says there, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, 
that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Paul very clearly commands husbands to love their wives. This is agape love. It's an unconditional love. It's not dependent upon how she acts. It doesn't depend on if your dinner is hot or cold when you come home. It doesn't depend on if she deserves it, if she's expressing love back to you. It depends on you being obedient to what God has called you to do. You have to love your wife even if she is unlovable. Why? Because we're submitting to the Lord, not to our wives. It's what he calls us to do. We have to love our wives even if she doesn't deserve it in our eyes. Paul was raising the love in marriage to the highest level possible. He was taking love in marriage and going, it's not here, it's up here. It's up at the top. It's the highest level possible. He saw the Christian home as an illustration of the relationship between Christ and the church. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you understand that there is no other picture of love than what Christ has done, his church, what Christ has done for the church. There is nothing greater than what Christ has done for you. And he says, that's the love I want to happen in marriage. And the best part is, he makes it happen. He gives you the ability to make it happen. But you've got to do things his way. To help us understand of what this type of love looks like, Paul makes two bold, two bold statements there about the husband, on how the husband should love his wife. As Christ loved the church, and the second one was, as their own bodies. Let's consider for a moment, how did Christ love the church? I certainly can't go into all the details, but Christ sanctified the church, which means he set her apart. In the marriage ceremony, the husband is set apart to belong to the wife. The wife is set apart to belong to the husband. Any interference with this God-given arrangement is sin. Our wives should be set apart and occupy a special place in our lives and in our hearts. No secretary, no co-worker, no neighbor, or any other, any other female acquaintance should ever be allowed into that area of your life. There should be walls in place that other women can't cross. There should be a barrier there that says, no, only my wife gets that close. No, only my wife has that conversation with me. No, only my wife is allowed to know this about me. There's certain walls and barriers that should never be crossed. You should never share your problems, your dreams, your concerns, or your marital issues with any, marital issues with any other woman except your wife. And that includes your mother or your mother-in-law, or your father, or your father-in-law. And you should not be available to listen to theirs either. If someone wants to cry on your shoulder, direct them to your wife. If a woman wants to cry on your shoulder, direct her to your wife. Let her talk to them. Not only did Christ sanctify his bride, but we also know that he cleansed his bride. The love of a husband for his wife should be cleansing her. It should be a cleansing thing to her and him, really, so that both are becoming more like Christ. The husband 
is not to use his wife for his own pleasure. She is not an object or a tool, but rather is to show, he's to show the kind of love that is mutually rewarding and sanctifying. The marriage experience is one of constant growth when Christ is the Lord of the home. When you choose to do things God's way, it's going to be a, a season that you grow in. You're going to grow little bits and pieces at a time. It doesn't, you can't make a decision today and go, all right, we're, from now on we're doing it God's way. That's a great choice to make, and that's what you strive for. But understand, there'll be failures along the way. There's no such thing as perfection. You know, even though that I can say that our marriage is better, even though we've been married 21 years, and even though we can talk 54 years, 52 years, they will tell you there's going to be trouble along the way. You have to deal with it, and the way that you deal with it is you're going to have to make concessions for each other. You're going to have to grow. But when you put it in the framework that God has given us, he does something that can't be explained because the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to grow in ways that we think are not possible. But Paul also told us that husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. We're to love our wives as our own bodies. That word as is very important in the verse. Paul's saying that since we are one flesh, we should love our wives with the same effort and the same care that we love our own bodies. When you guys wake up in the morning, don't you consider how you're feeling as you make the plans for the day? Well, I don't really feel like cutting the grass today. My leg hurts. My arm hurts. My back hurts. Whatever it might be. Do you give that same consideration to your wife or do you say, come on, honey, let's go? Well, I don't, feel, I don't care how you feel. Let's go. We consider and we make plans to get our needs met. But do you consider and make plans to get her needs met? Or, or the, is it even a thought that crosses your mind? What does my wife need today? What does she need from me? We would never do anything to intentionally harm our own bodies. But as husbands, we need to take careful consideration not to harm our wives. And can I just stop and make a point? Yes, physically, of course. But can I also say verbally? Do you realize that you can harm your wife with your words? The way that you speak to her? The way that you respond to her? The, way, the things that you say to her? You can put her down? This is not good in God's eyes. You would never harm your own body, but yet sometimes as husbands, we can be quick to let the words slip out that can be harmful to our wives. Don't do that. Now, another thing. You guys know there's a difference between men and women, right? We got that part down? Do you know that whenever a woman stands in front of a mirror, do you know what she sees? Oh, I don't like the way this looks. That doesn't look right. That, oh, I don't look like I used to. It's convicting for her. Do you know as a man, when we stand in front of a mirror, do you know what we see? I look pretty good. I look all right. Or, or I don't look that bad. Everything looks pretty good. I'm, I'm cool with that. And you don't look anything like you're supposed to. Or like you did 10 years ago. But we sit in front of the mirror and go, yeah, that's not so. Yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty. Yeah, I'm, I'm 45. That's pretty good. I'm 47. I'm 50, yeah, look at me. I'm pretty good. And your wife gets in front of the mirror. And she's like, oh, I can't. Do I have a big butt? No. No. That's how we treat our own body. Would you treat your wife the same way? Do you see her through that same eyes? She needs to know she's beautiful. She's attractive. She's desirable by you. You married her because she's attractive to you. She needs to know those things. And in case you don't know, gravity wins. You're not going to be the same person you were when you got married 40, 50, 10 years ago. Things start drooping. Kids are born. Things start sagging. It just happens. 
You can look better longer, but gravity always wins. You see, we must understand that our wife is part of us. And I got to say this, you don't feel that instinctively. You have to be taught it. And that's what we're here today, is to learn. You know, God's word doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't happen instinctively. We have to look at God's word and go, how can I take this and apply it to my life? How can I make it work? I need to know that my wife is a part of me. And as a husband, I must clearly understand that my wife and I are not two people, but one person. One. Listen to verse 31 again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Notice he's addressing this to men, by the way. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Please understand something, that there's a greater picture being displayed through your marriage. God has chosen to show the relationship of Christ and the church the marriage of a husband and a wife. Certainly that's under attack in our society. And the last half of verse 33 says, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So immediately following the command... Um, that husbands should love their wives. God doesn't tell wives to love their husbands. He tells wives to respect the husbands. So just as you, as a woman, need love, your husband, in the same way, needs respect. God encouraged men that they are to love, love their wives even when their wives are unlovable even when they don't deserve it. So we think, yeah, my husband's love for me, it should be unconditional. He should love me even when I'm having a bad day, um, even when I've maybe been cranky with him. He should you know, give me concessions and love me no matter what. So we expect that. That's, that's kind of a common thing. Love should be unconditional. But what about respect? Well, in our society, we say, oh, no, respect must be earned. <clears throat> but that is not true, at least not in a marriage relationship. We are to honor our husbands and the role they have in the family because that role is ordained by God. And by honoring and respecting our husbands, we are honoring and respecting the Lord and um, submitting, again, to his order. Now, it's true that your respect for your husband can grow over time, just like his love for you can grow over time. But you cannot wait until your husband is acting in a way that is worthy of respect to show it. I think that many of us as wives, we treat our husbands disrespectfully and we don't even really realize it. A lot of times it comes in the form of eye rolling or maybe heavy sighing. We show our displeasure in this way. Most men feel disrespected when a woman criticizes him or second guesses his decision. More obvious forms of disrespect occur when an attitude of I told you so, or you can never do anything right. Those type of attitudes that can come out are extremely disrespectful. It would be the same way as if your husband looked at you and said, you're ugly. That's how powerful these words and these attitudes of disrespect are. 
So we need to uh, not only make sure that we're respecting our husbands when we're in his presence, but also when he's not around. No matter where we go, when we have an opportunity to talk about our husbands, it should be with an attitude of respect. We need to resist the temptation to question, resist, or subvert his authority with the children, especially if you're in a blended family. When it comes to uh, you know, stepchildren and that type of thing, you always need to hold up your husband as the authority in that house. So in front of the kids, in front of your parents, you don't want to bring your problems and all your issues about your husband to your parents. That can cause a lot of problems and is extremely disrespectful if your husband knows that you're going to your mom's house and you two are going to sit and, and talk bad about him. You wonder why he doesn't like his mother-in-law. Um, I mean, you're, you're kind of feeding into that sometimes. I'm not saying all of you, but that, that can happen. That happens. Um, into your girlfriends. You don't want to go and get involved in the husband bashing talk. Uh, you always want to be casting your husband in the best possible light. Now, that's not to say that um, he's perfect. Sure, your husband has his faults. Yes, he's going to make mistakes. And admit it. I mean, we make our share of mistakes too, but you don't want your husband going off to work and telling the guys all about, you know, how dinner was burnt and how, you know, your clothes are never made, never ready for you. They're always wrinkled and, you know, you had to iron your own shirt this morning and, or whatever, you know, a dinner's always cold or, or you know, you don't, you don't want him going out and doing that. So we need to be especially careful that we don't fall into those attitudes, very socially accepted attitudes. Again, it's not to say that everything's going to be perfect. And if there are issues that you have, it's not to say that you can never discuss them. But it needs to be with a very carefully selected individual. And if you, you know, as a Christian, a godly counselor, if you have problems that you really need to discuss, you pick one person. And you make sure that they understand that the things that you discuss are, um, you know, confidential and that they're going to offer you godly advice. The last thing you need to do, again, is to get together with a bunch of girls and tear down your husbands together. That's poisonous. Um, I read a quote um, that said, while I was preparing this study, that said, the respect that my wife shows me, this is a man talking, the respect that my wife shows me is like wind in my sails. It's so important. We can be the wind in his sails that push him forward. We can be an encourager. We can be supportive. Or we can be the one that sucks that wind out of his sails and makes him feel stagnant and unmotivated and paralyzed. Now, this is not to say that you can never bring up your concerns or your opinions, but I am saying that there is a proper and respectful way to discuss issues within the marriage or concerns you're having. Now, once you learn to relate to your husband in this respectful way, you will begin to see that he will open himself up more to you. Once he knows he can trust you with his heart, he'll become more, will he'll become more willing to hear your opinions, to get your perspective. And over time, he may even trust you with his weaknesses and failures if he knows you will not show him rejection. He needs to know that you think he's great. Seems silly, but they need to know that you think he's great. He, they need to know that you believe in him. Seriously, they're smiling. They, they do. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> 
okay, where am I? <laughs> okay, so a woman who cultivates this type of respectful relationship with, his hus- with, with her husband will become his closest confidant, his most trusted counselor, and his best friend. Now, if you lack this type of relationship with your husband, if you say, oh, I wish he would tell me more about what's going on inside of him, and why does he never open up to me? And, you know, when we first met, I felt like we were so close, but maybe we've drifted. I I wish he was my best friend. Consider the attitude of respect. Consider how you've been relating to him. If you want him to open up to you, you may want to consider, can he come to you and not be judged when he shares his thoughts? Do you automatically just begin to criticize and pick it apart? Or can you just listen non-judgmentally to to his opinions, to his thoughts, to his plans? Are you always saying, oh, it's not gonna work. That's ridiculous. Oh, you've tried something like that before. Your ideas always fall apart. Gee, I wonder why he doesn't wanna come and talk to you about his hopes, his dreams, um, his, his plans. If you wonder why your husband is reluctant to lead the family, it may be a result of of fear of failure in your eyes. Hmm. Even if his plans fail, he needs to know that in your eyes, he's not a failure. He needs to know and understand that you're behind him. Again, I'm going to say this, that you're behind him, that you're with him, that you will support and encourage him. He, He knows from the world that he's failed. He does not need to hear it from you. He needs to come home. You need to be that soft place where he can land. As we sort of wrap up this first session, I just want to review a couple of the points. Uh, Wives, the word of God tells you to uh, submit to your husbands, to submit to them, and to respect the husbands. And husbands, the word of God tells us to love our wives. And we're obligated by the word of God to lead our wives. Remember (coughs) that these commands, they're not contingent upon the other's obedience. It's not if he leads, I will submit, or if she submits, then I will lead. A husband can't wait to love his wife until she respects him. And nor should a wife wait to respect her husband until she feels like he's loving her in the proper way. With God's strength and with his help, each of us needs to do what the Lord has commanded us. And then you simply entrust your spouse into the Lord's hands and let him do the work. You focus on what God's called you to do and let the Lord focus on your spouse. You don't need to give him your notes. You don't need to leave the Bible open to that page so he'll read it later. You just need to simply say, am I being a godly husband or am I being a godly wife? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we've covered much in this first session about these roles, about our wives being helpers to us, about as a husband loving my wife and and leading my family, and as a a wife to submit or coming under the authority of her husband and, uh, and respecting him. Lord, these seem like such simple things, but yet it's once we begin to practice them in our daily lives that we'll begin to see the fruit that we so desire in our marriage. So, Lord, would we be able to, would you help us, show us those areas where we're failing in our lives, in our marriages. Show us where we're not loving our wives. Show us where we're not leading our families. Show us where we're not submitting to our husbands or where we're not respecting our husbands. Would you make that come alive for us, Lord, because it's our desire to grow in you. And we believe that you, as the author of marriage, 
have more for us in our marriage, and we want all that you have. Thank you, Lord, for this conference. Thank you for the volunteers and all that they've done to prepare it. In Jesus' name, amen.